Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. We help business creators like you win at the game of business and marketing so you can thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion and make a difference for your community, market, and audience. Please take a moment and visit our website, www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. You'll find hundreds of episodes covering a breadth and depth of topics relevant to you as a business creator and links to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. And now, here's today's episode. Let's get started. My name is Adam Homey. I am your host, and I am honored by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today. The Business Creators Radio Show takes you to those places where you have those mastermind meetings and aha moments that can change your trajectory or at least bring you a little bit closer to serving from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. I'm coming to you today from my sumptuous purple couch in my apartment here in Las Vegas, known to some on some days as the hottest city in America. And we are going to have a chat about something that is so near and dear to my heart that, in fact, I covered in a few of the anecdotal stories in my book, Groundhog Day is an Event, Not a Business Strategy. It's about smart customers and stupid companies. Oh, my goodness. Now, we have somebody here who is going to be a font of knowledge, who has a lot to share with us. So I'm going to try as much as I can to let him talk as much as I can. But I got to tell you, this is a topic that burns me up. So you may want to take a moment and make sure that you have a glass of something that you really enjoy because you're going to get a kick out of this. Also, be sure to subscribe so you can listen to this again. His name is Michael Henshaw. He is a recognized customer service experience leader and strategist known for coaching executives and guiding companies to achieve customer-centric growth and increased return on investment. Wouldn't we all love that? All right. So, Michael, come on in. The weather's fine. That's great. Hey, Adam. Uh, thanks for having me on. I'm happy to be here today. Looking forward to our conversation. You bet. And you have a book by this uh, title as well, Smart Customers, Stupid Companies, Why Only Intelligent Companies Will Thrive and How to Be One of Them. I know it's up on Amazon. Uh, I'm going to remind our listeners of that at the very end. The book's actually been around for about 10 years. It's quite a classic. Uh, I myself am going to snag me a Kindle of it, and I'm going to be reading it myself because right. I'm very excited about this topic. I know you wrote it in uh, in collaboration with uh, Bruce Kasanoff, so um, you're going to be carrying the torch today. Now, before we do that, uh, just your background is so impressive. I'm not sure that I'm worthy to be in your presence, and this is my show. So <laughs> what we're going to do is, before we get into this topic, is I'm going to turn it over to you for a moment. And I want you to tell us in your own words a bit about your journey. And what's brought you to where you are today, serving business creators from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. Yeah. Well, that's great. Thanks for that uh, that setup. And, you know, it's interesting. I um, I have a marketing background. Uh, started you know, quite some time ago. Uh, suffice to say that in the late 90s, I sold a brand strategy uh, firm, about 35 people, and took a year off. And... One of the things that happened during that time when I was off is one of my former clients asked me if I wanted to run an internet company with them. Uh-huh. And we sat down and that was right. Internet was very early days having a conversation around, well, what are the opportunities out there? And we came up with an idea to do something that was really interesting, but it was in a country I knew a little about in an industry I knew absolutely nothing about. Okay. So as a marketing guy living in San Francisco, I ended up uh, going on to build the largest independent grain trading company in Canada. Wow. And I did that, basically grew from a zero to about a $300 million business in about three years. And I did that by leveraging what I now recognize as the principles of customer centricity. So essentially, it's how do you use a customer-centric view of the world to find essentially gaps in the market, identify pain points, mm-hmm. uh, help to, help to you know, solve problems in new ways, in many cases, problems that have been in the industry for years and years. So that perspective really catapulted me to what I'm doing today uh, in the probably 2002, 2003 timeframe. 
sold uh, the technology that we'd built in Canada and started MCorp CX. And I've been running this firm ever since, helping organizations of you know, different sizes figure out how to better serve their customers and make more money while they're doing it. Wow. There's one, one other component of this, which I think, you know, kind of given your, uh, your listenership, you know, entrepreneurs, small business owners, local business owners, it's, I teach innovation entrepreneurship at UC Berkeley. Uh, there's a business school here, the Haas School of Business. It's just across the bay from me. And the principles behind entrepreneurship and innovation are very much the same as the principles behind customer experience improvement. It's about finding where the pain points are in the market, as, as I was saying, about coming up with a solution that's better than the existing uh, players in the market might have and figuring out how to implement that in ways that your customers are going to love. So yeah. big crossover. I do work for big companies like you know, Microsoft's, the Intel's of the world, but everything that I've learned and, and Smart Customers, Stupid Companies' is a book translates to startups, small businesses, as well as established and fast growth businesses. Wow, that's um, and that and that in itself is uh, very, very intriguing. Now, you gave us a lot of talking points in the green room, so uh, this may be one of our less free flowing conversations, but it could end up taking an interesting turn. So, what I'm going to do is I'm going to start by just going through some of the uh, going through some of the questions here and uh, seeing where this goes. So. Let's start by defining some terms and some concepts. Uh, based on your work, Michael, what are some key indicators of what we call a successful customer-centric transformation within a company? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's the organization shifting from the perspective of what's best for them at all times uh -huh. to the perspective of what's best for their customers. So as we look at kind of that intersection, it's really recognizing that a lot of times companies do stuff based on what's best for them. And, and they've established systems, and they've put things in place and they kind of continually do things that don't necessarily help customers because that's not how they've been designed. So a truly customer-centric company is an organization that actually pivots and delivers the things their customers needs. Right, 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 right. So that's that's fantastic. And, you know, I see in my experiences so many cases where companies seem to lose this. And one of the areas that I found it is in the area of web hosting companies. So let me give you an example. When I was very early in the online marketing space, this is in the, this is in the mid to late aughts, uh, 2006, 2007, I had a relationship with this one particular hosting company that was amazing with their customer service. I mean, I it was blown away by how awesome they were. Uh, so I ended up getting most of my clients to become customers of this firm. Now, I wasn't a reseller or anything like that. I was just an affiliate. So right. I made $35 each time. I didn't want to be a reseller. I didn't want to run servers because I didn't want to become a de facto web host because that's what tends to happen when you get in that place. But for years... This all worked really well. Then uh, they got acquired by some overseas company. And you started to see the shift. You started to notice frustration from the techs who didn't seem all of a sudden to have the answers anymore. They had they touted their hosting as being optimized for WordPress, but yet the servers constantly freaking crashed. <laughs> and every single time they would say, well, it's because of WordPress. And I say, you optimize the servers for WordPress and you're saying WordPress is why the server's crashing? What? Now, here's what I think happened. The company grew substantially on its own. Then when it got acquired, that led to another influx of customers. There might have been some sort of consolidation or some marketing effort that brought a lot more customers on board. Now, next thing you know, their servers are overloaded. So you can be optimized for WordPress as much as you want. If you don't have enough, have enough yeah, uh, you don't have the bandwidth, there's nothing you yeah, can do. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I can imagine scenarios where the techs went to their management and said, you know, this is the trend. We're having this problem over and over and over again. And we have to keep restarting Apache because we don't give the client access to push the button themselves. 
and or the customer doesn't feel they should even if we did that this should just work etc 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 we're getting yelled at because this is always happening at the worst possible time for a client because when does your website go down right when you get a major media hit or do a big product launch that's always when it goes down never never just some quiet time Random thing. right exactly <laughs> uh so so yeah, management, so yeah, yeah, yeah. So management, exactly. So management takes its senior management, and you can imagine the senior management uh, knowing full well that the um, servers are out of date, or they need to buy more servers, or what have you. Saying, "Oh well, you know how it is with these customers. They install these stupid themes and all these needless plugins, and uh, they're running, they're running all these processes all at the same time, and then they turn around and blame us because they don't know how to maintain a clean website." And that's the answer that they would have to keep handing back. Uh, so uh, if I'm a tech support rep working for this company, eventually, I mean, Michael, I mean, you if you yeah. ever beat your if you ever beat your fists against the wall and eventually realize that that wall wasn't moving, but your hands were gonna get bloodier. Yeah, well, it's a conversation that I have a lot. It's like people inside companies said, have you ever actually gotten angry at a company? Yeah, that's and, yeah. And it's happened once or twice. Yeah, once or twice, right? Uh -huh. And so when you're talking to an organization that's having issues with their customers, that's the kind of thing that brings it down to reality because it's that the, you know you asked earlier about that shift to a customer centric organization or, or driving transformation about recognizing that your customers are humans. I think it was uh, Seth Godin who said that you know your customers are humans. Your employees are humans. If you don't understand people, then you shouldn't be in business. Right. I, I think I think there's a lot to that. See, so when I'm looking for, uh, let's like, say, for example, computer repair, I've let's say my computer was out of warranty and I need to take it to a repair shop. I'm looking for a repair shop. Like, let's say we're on Yelp. I can't remember if they have five star, or ten star ratings. But let's say it's a scale of one to ten. I'm looking for that repair shop that has a score between about eight point eight and nine point two. Here's the reason why. If they're getting 10 out of 10, I candidly am not going to believe a lot of the reviews. I'm going to think that these are these are people who either bamboozled into it while the, the owner of the shop was standing right over them. And they were doing it on their iPad right there in the store, or they paid for the reviews. That's number one. Number two, I want to see if they messed up a couple of times. I want to see if they had a couple angry customers. Here's the reason why. I want to see how they handled it. Because what if... I decide to engage with this shop, and my case is one of the ones that doesn't go smoothly. I want to have the confidence to know that on the back end, I'm going to be taken care of. Well, they say that a lot of times when the recovery can actually increase loyalty more than just doing it great all the time. Yeah. Right? So if, you, if a company blows it and they acknowledge that, and then they turn around, they do what needs to be done to make it right for you. You're uh -huh. going to go exactly as you just said, right? They're going to say, oh, wow, this is, these guys have my back. Everyone messes up. We all know that. It's, uh -huh. how, you, it's how you handle it. <laughs> that's that's yeah. the challenge. And a lot of companies, like your, your story around the, you know, the web hosting, it's like some companies don't handle it well and their customers get upset and their customers leave, which costs them money. Exactly. So, um, you know, I've, I'm a service provider myself. My primary business is working with people to launch your podcasts. Do you think that, uh, and, and before that, I was a website conversion consultant. Before that, I was in the uh, web development industry. So I've had been in a few different businesses. I've been uh, in business for over 20 years. Do you think I've botched it a couple times? There's no way you haven't. You think I've never had a customer yell at me? Well, it's happened. So, yeah. uh, so I had this one uh, client who wanted to go through an entire history of emails trying to sting me on something and get a gotcha on me. And uh, it just occurred to me what to do in this situation. I said, you know, look, we, you know, we can sit here on this paid consultation for another hour while you go through an entire history of opening emails that I sent to you and reading them aloud. And I'm just going to stipulate that you're going to find out where I messed up, okay? So right now you have an expectation that you don't feel that we've quite met. So I propose that we clarify where we are now, clarify where we need to be, 
and the specific steps we need to take to get there as quickly as possible so that you receive the satisfaction you're looking for. And once we do that, I will schedule a time with you. I will spend as much time as I want with you. You can go through as much history as you want. You can yell. You can scream. You can call me names. Whatever makes you feel good. We can have whatever autopsy you want. But let's get you taken care of first. Do you know how many? I mean, that's yeah. that scenario has happened maybe like three times in 20 years, which is nothing. Uh, but uh, you know how many of those customers actually took me up on the uh, post-mortem autopsy? Yeah, none. None. Because they didn't need to. I made them whole. Yeah. Yeah. They no longer felt a need to poke to poke at it, right? Right. And I and I and I feel this and I feel the same way. I mean, I've had experiences where I felt that I wasn't getting uh the service that I was looking for. And I'm thinking, okay, yeah, applying my own thing. I'm gonna work with them, I'm gonna clarify on uh, getting this problem fixed. And then I'm filing a formal complaint. I'm speaking with their boss's boss. I'm going to get somebody written up over this. You know how many times I've followed through with that? Well, it, it depends on how, how well they do at recovering it. <laughs> as long, yeah. As long as they it, don't, it, then it keeps, going, it keeps rolling. You uh, answered yeah. it correctly once. Yeah. Because they didn't recover it. But when they do recover it, the way I look at it is, okay, this one's solved, and I've got five other things waiting to claim my attention, or five opportunities are now that have now opened up now that I've solved this problem. I'm moving on to the opportunity. Yeah. I mean, we've all got too much to do. There's really no point in wasting time. Now, we also, there's there's always that one person, right, that they're just going to keep pounding at it because that's the personality. Uh huh. But the vast majority of people are going to take take it as a win and move on. Exactly. Exactly. And there's a way to handle that as well. Uh, if like if you're getting reviews from somebody and they're posting it publicly, where they just all they want to do is complain and yell, and they don't actually want to solve the problem. Uh, there's a way to answer that that I found effective is real simply to say, uh, look, uh, we emailed you on these dates. Um, I called you on these dates. Uh, this is our proposed solution. We're ready to serve you. Uh, just give us a call or send us a note and let's get it done. Uh, and just leave it at that. And what that does, it essentially calls the hater out. So basically what it's saying to the hater is, we hear you. We're trying to make this right. So we're the good guys here. And everybody else who's reading those reviews is going to say, Oh, this company that looks, actually that looks, tried, like, a reason, that this, looks like a reasonable response, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and, and other reviewers are going to say, look, this company actually tried, but they were just dealing with some nut. Yeah. What's interesting, a lot of a lot of companies, they do they don't intentionally mess with their customers, mm -hmm. but they do so, you know, kind of an ongoing basis simply because they don't understand the pain that they're causing. Okay. That's a good jumping off point for where I want to go next, the pain that they're causing. And I think some of that has to do with feedback and organizational structures. So, Michael, what's your approach to, uh, and if you also could define the challenge, uh, yeah. the approach to challenge of aligning the organizational structure and the processes so that we have this continuous uh, improvement in customer experience? Yeah. So there's a couple of things that organize, well, there's a whole bunch of things, but at a very high level, the companies that are really good at consistently delivering great customer experiences uh -huh. are clear about where they're going and why. And you know, we yeah. are a customer-centric company, and this is what it means to us. Then they take the next click down and they say, This is what it means to you, you being the people in their uh -huh. company. Right. So and and typically in most organizations, there's three, I'll just broadly classify them, three types of employees. And so I know there's many more than three types, but <laughs> from a customer experience perspective, you've got employees that are customer facing. You've got call center people, you got sales folks, um, you know, you've got repair people, whatever. They're, they're out there dealing with customers day-to-day -day basis. Uh -huh. Then you've got the folks in the organization who are responsible for helping to create the experiences your customers have. You think the marketing people, PR, uh, web development, right? Uh -huh. um, all those, the, the back end, the folks who are designing the experiences, the things that customers are having to go through, that's kind of the second group. They have direct influence over the customer, but they don't talk to customers every day. And the third group is, I'll call it the back office, right? 
you know, lawyers, accountants, um, you know, warehouse workers, for example, um, they don't deal with customers directly. And for the most part, in many companies, they don't really see the importance of their contribution to a customer experience. But if you think about an organization that tells every one of those three levels what a great experience means to them and why their role is so important to a great experience, the warehouse guy might take that or gal might take that extra time to make sure that the right things are going in the right package because as it turns out, their customers are happier when they get the right thing <laughs> and it doesn't cost them when things get returned back. Right. It's a small thing, but everyone has impact. Accounting, right? I'm sure you've received, as we all have, invoices that you look at it and go, what in the heck are they charging me? <laughs> right? Yeah. Lawyers, how many contracts have you seen as a business person? Or it's like you look at the terms and conditions, the T's and C's on almost any web service. It's like pages and pages. It's very difficult to decipher stuff. So everyone's got, everyone has an opportunity to affect an experience positively and negatively. Um, the thing that the, that leads into is alignment on where the company is going and what people need to do. And then the other side of it is accountability. That's organization making sure that people know if they don't do the things that they need to do, that there's you know, some kind of uh, something happens on the back end. And it doesn't mean it has to be punitive. And it doesn't have, mean it has to be financial, but there's a system in place for helping people who aren't delivering the experiences your customers need. And they keep doing that every part of the organization. So if you think about what that means from a, a process perspective, right? You're asking about the processes. Oh, yeah. Are, right. So if you're in the call center and you're a call center manager and just per pretend, right? So you're the call center manager at a web services company. <laughs> uh -huh. and, uh, and what happens to your customers is they call. And the first thing that the, that the, <clears throat> You know, voice uh, voice recognition system asks you to do is to punch in your account number, right? With personally identifiable information. Uh -huh. you know, three, four, five minutes later, you finally get to a person. What's the first thing that per person asks you? To oh, um, I'm not gonna, <laughs> I'm not, gonna, I'm not gonna mention one shopping cart's uh, name by you know, by name, yeah. but uh, I point this out to them every time. Uh, I have to know either my or my client's merchant ID number. And I have to enter it on the call, which means, uh, and I always forget to do this because I don't have to call them that often. It's like, okay, now I have to go and find the front page while I'm logged in and I have to find this number and I have to type it in. And then uh, it doesn't even give me time to look at for it starts fumbling. Please enter your merchant ID number. Please enter your merchant ID number. Please mention your, enter your, and then, yeah. and then I start typing and it says, I get three of the six digits and they, because I wasn't fast enough. And they say, oh, your merchant ID number is incomplete. Please try again. It's like, chur, 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 chur. then I hear 30 seconds of whole music. The person comes on. And they say, oh, good afternoon. Thank you for calling us. Uh, can you give us your merchant ID number, please? Oh, oh I say, it's, it's what? Yeah. It, they just run you through all that. And, Right. Here. Oh, and I got one. I got one more for you just while we go yeah. through it. And this is um, uh, like, let's say, and I haven't had to do this in a long time, but since we keep bringing up computers, um, you know, uh, you call uh, the tech support for your computer because your computer's on the fritz and um, and they uh, and they have they and, you know, particularly back in the days of the desktops where you had the tower and then they would have you flip it over and read off these tiny little numbers to you that you could barely even read. Uh, and you'd have to verify seven different numbers that were on little stickers on your on the bottom of your tower. You had to pull out of its case and uh, be careful not to unplug the cords because then it would disconnect everything. And uh, I remember this one time that I was in the middle of uh, them answering the question. All of a sudden, they're halfway through answering my question. And then they say, uh, they start asking for numbers. And I said, no, I'm not giving you any numbers. I've already verified this. If what you're saying is you need to place me on a brief hold while you do further research, say that. But I'm not. Uh, I'm not going to be um, doing gymnastics with my tower while you yeah. uh, Google well, the answer. Out your microphone or your yeah. Uh, it's it's, it's yeah it's yeah yeah. Stuff, yeah. yeah. It's it's like I get it. You don't have the answer right in front of you. I don't necessarily expect that. So you got to consult the manual. Consult the manual. Just put me on a brief hold or tell me that you're consulting the manual. Yeah. Don't. Put me through those gymnastics. That's ridiculous. Yeah. But if, if that call center group, if those guys go back to their management and they say, hey, we're hearing this from our customers. They're they're really upset because we're doing this, that, and the other thing. Uh -huh. if, if 
the people in the organization are empowered to go back to management and say stuff like that, and management is empowered to do something about it, then things get done. Those are the two keys, though. Yep. Uh, the, fee- gotta, the feedback and the power, the empowerment. Yep. And you need to have the tools to do it. You know, I was talking to the head of a call center uh, a few months ago, and they're telling me that they actually have their people have seven different systems they have to go in to answer customer questions. Holy moly! So right, and that's not uncommon. And you think about it; it's no wonder that the you know that <laughs> the, the the tower. The tower people that you were talking about earlier had to put you on hold or had to go because uh-huh. it's not easy to get to. Right. So, and that's just doing things that are easy for the company because somebody added in four different systems. They didn't bother integrating them and they never thought about what it meant to the customer. Exactly. Oh, precise, precisely. I mean, uh, this is not a political show, so I'm not going down a political road. I'm just stating a fact. Um, let's say somebody's on public assistance or welfare. Uh, they may need to go through 17 different agencies just to get uh, the combination of their welfare check and their benefits. Yeah, but what? But 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 what if? But and and in many times, and I've heard these stories. They need to get the assistance of one agency to get what they need from another agency. Well, can't they just set up like one department of welfare? Yeah, that that's too. Yeah, you, yeah. You, you, <laughs> you, you go there, you get everything. You get the assistance for the kids. You get the food stamps. You get the check. You get the vouchers. Uh, you get the you get the you get the rent reimbursement. You go one place or one website. It's all in there, and you go pick what you need when you need it. Uh, but that would make too much sense. Yeah, and well, government. Yeah, governments. That's one other conversation. But in, <laughs> yeah. even in in private businesses, right? If if they've over the years, set things up intentionally or unintentionally to make it easier for themselves, easier for themselves than it is for the customers. Mm-hmm. The customers end up losing out. The thing is, right. today, our cu- customers, everybody's customers. It doesn't matter whether you're, a, you know, a single person entrepreneur or whether you've got a small business or whether you have a massive corporation. Mm-hmm. No matter what, your customers' expectations of the experience that they want from you are being set by the best experiences they have anywhere. Yeah. Right. So if you're, you're running, uh, I don't know, you're running a, a guarding service, you got a you know whole bunch, you got a bunch of crews out there and your customers are going to expect that you're going to be able to do things like scheduling online and they're mm-hmm. going to change their appointments and they can book additional services. And that's for somebody who might be running, you know, 15 or 20 crews as, as a gardener. It, that same expectation that Amazon can do it. Why can't, why can't these guys? Oh yeah. I mean, uh, now, now Amazon uh, in particular um, takes an approach, you know how they do that same day delivery stuff or what have you. And they give this to independent contractors and sometimes actually getting it same day is a big hit or miss thing. Now, if I'm being told I'm getting it same day, I'm waiting for it. And if I don't get it same day, I'm not going to be happy. So I use candidly, I just usually don't even put myself through it. I just, you know, do like some kind of standard delivery. But for a lot of folks who take up on that offer, they also recognize that there is a bit of hit or miss to that. So they say, yeah, I ordered my new Alexa and they told me it would be here by four o'clock this afternoon. Uh, but you know, if they miss it, tomorrow's fine. That's still a lot better than the alternative. Yeah. Or anybody else. Yeah. But, how, but however, if you're at a, if you're running a seminar or a conference and the microphone broke and uh, you ordered a microphone to be delivered and have it there by three o'clock p.m. so you can have it set up for the keynote speaker who, um, you know, if we're talking about customer experience, let's say you got John Taffer or uh, someone like that as your keynote speaker and that microphone ain't there. Whoa. Yeah, you got an issue. Yeah. And, and, and Taffer's one of the nice guys. I know people who've interviewed him. Imagine some of the people you might get uh, as keynote speakers in that space. Uh, and I think you know some of those people can be pretty brutal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you know what I'm talking about. Yep, yep they're picky. Uh, they get right. right. Oh, yeah, yeah, abso- absolutely. So, you know, what we're doing here is, I guess, you know, we're, la- you know, we're looking at some of the underpinnings of what goes into making all this happen. So... Now I want to get into technology. Now, what I've noticed, I'm going to start with an observation, particularly with some internet marketing companies, is some are going all in with the artificial intelligence route and trying to do all their customer service through bots, which, candidly, I don't think we're ever really going to get there. 
But now I've seen other companies, um, including one where she was my client back when she was a side hustler. Now she owns, I think it's valued as something like 25 million or something like that. If I said the name, you'd probably even know her. But uh, she um, she made an intentional decision right at the point where her business went from being a side hustle to her full-time thing, that she was not going to automate the customer experience, that she was just simply going to create opportunities for internships at her local college. Because she, want, because she wanted her customers to feel like when they dealt with her, that even if they weren't dealing with her, they had an assigned concierge. That's the key phrase, an assigned concierge. And you know, I've interacted with that company. I've, uh, uh, they, you know, they were my client, but uh, I was also their client for a little bit. And one of my clients is one of their clients, and I've and I've taken uh, some of their training programs and things like that. And every single one of those experiences, um, I've been assigned, or my client has been assigned, a concierge who stayed with me throughout the entire experience. And usually, they send me the same person just because there's a relationship there. But uh, just the fact that I have a dedicated person who's there for me and maybe 20 other people, but knowing that I know who I'm speaking with and this person's going to be responsive to me is great. Yeah. Well, there's, you know, it's an interesting thing is there's, there, there's a, it's not really a joke, but it is a widely uh, accepted phrase that in general, nobody wants to talk to a person until they want to talk to a person. Then uh-huh. they talk to a person right away. Right now. And I'm one of those people, just to give you an idea, like when it comes to tech support issues or even something like trying to figure out what happened with my credit card or something like that. I'm that guy. Or, or, or let's say it's a website issue for one of our podcast clients. I'm that guy who's going to try and solve it on his own. And if I need to contact tech support... I'm not just coming to them saying, hey, the website's broke, or why isn't my credit card working, or why isn't my computer working? I'm going to tell them all the steps that I've already taken to try and solve it. I'll actually type that out on a notepad in advance so I can dump into the live chat and I can save them 23 steps. Now, the one thing they can do to aggravate me is start asking me, like, if I say, Yes, I tried unplugging it and plugging it back in again. They're gonna and they ask, did you try unplugging it and plugging it back in again? I'm going to politely say, um, could you please read all the notes? Yep. No, I'll say it in a nice that. way. Yeah, yeah, because because <laughs> I, I think I covered a lot of your steps. I'm not the typical noob that just expects you to solve everything. I'm here because I tried and I couldn't. So I'm actually trying to be respectful of you and only leverage you when I can't do it. Well, it's a it's an interesting interesting world we live in. Yeah. You about you talk about technology, and you know you talk about AI, and clearly that's at the forefront of conversations in businesses mm-hmm. every place. It's at the forefront of conversations at dinner tables, you know, across America. Uh, you know, what does it all mean? And people who run companies are trying to figure out the answer to that as well. But when you're talking about customer customer service, for example, as we think about how AI can actually help companies. One of the things we've, we've seen be most successful from in terms of leveraging AI is not turning everything into a, into a chatbot. Right. <laughs> right. Cause if you're getting, I mean, yeah, you said you don't see that happening. It's because the technology, the models they're training it on just aren't as good as they need to be. Mm-hmm. That being said, if you're able to use AI to free your humans up to do higher value, more complex tasks by taking the information that your company has about your customers and putting it in a format that anybody in the customer service role can access pretty quickly. Uh Then you're actually, you're empowering your people to deliver better experiences, Uh leveraging AI and and making them more more personalized, faster response, all those things. But it doesn't mean that you're shifting everything to you know operational efficiency by by getting rid of your people and putting bots in place. Right. Let me give. I'm going to give a shout out to a company called Pointer Pro, and uh, they're a, mm-hmm. a survey and assessment tool company where you log in, and you create surveys and assessments, and it's like the really complex stuff, not just the 
three-person uh, scale one to five thing. I mean, we're talking about right. getting into scoring and algorithms and generating custom reports based on aggregate totals and things like that. I mean, these are these are the big players. I have a relationship with them, and uh, and it seems like every time I live chat with them, I get the same person. And I like to think that maybe that they say, well, whenever Adam comes up, send them send them Patricia because I have the relationship with her, whatever. Uh, the relationship, the conversation is always, here's my problem. I'm trying to find the tutorial that addresses this. And she'll immediately copy-paste me the link. Yeah. And she'll say, go ahead, take a look at this. Let me know what questions you have. And I'll look at it, and I'll say either, no questions, I got it, or that's great, but then what do I do here? And then she says, okay, well, here's the next link you want to follow. And I'll come out of those live chat experiences. I can just uh, print it out, and I'll have three or four links, and I just go through them in sequence, and it's all solved for me. Now, they're trained so that they are intimately familiar with their documentation. And pretty much any question a client of theirs has for them, they know where to find the answer. So they don't have to spend time typing it out. And they've also taken the time to make sure their tutorials are really good with screenshots and clear step-by-step -step instructions so that they can deliver the information efficiently in a way that I can follow it without having to uh, wait for them to give it to me step-by-step. -step. Yeah. And I like that. Well, you think about the what they had to do to make that happen. Uh-huh. I mean, it sounds like it's just intuitive. Oh, my gosh, make it easy for people to read and understand. Uh-huh. But the process of making things easy to read and understand is not – it's straightforward, but it's not simple because you're dealing with all kinds of different things, and you have to really understand what your customers are trying to accomplish. You can't – you know, I, was, I went uh, skiing this weekend with a good friend of mine, and he just bought a new car. It's a, a Hyundai Tucson, I think it is. And – He's a, he's a scientist. It's a very detail-oriented guy. And we drove up in my truck. And on the way up, he's looking at his manual, his car manual. I mean, I've never looked at a car manual other unless I need to figure out something that's wrong with it. But he was like trying to become one with it. And he's reading these things like, this doesn't make any sense. Over here, they say do it this way. Over here, they say do it that way. It's like they just took all these technical documents and threw them into a, you know, <laughs> a book and put it in the car impossible to figure yeah. out you got to take it to the dealer uh-huh they could have made it easy for him to figure out how to operate the vehicle right but now he has to go to the dealer and sit down with somebody who's going to walk him through all these features because uh -huh. it was not clear that's and that's the thing with modern cars i mean i lease cars so i always have basically a new car and they're just even the basic ones are so technologically advanced that when i get a new car the first thing i do is i I, uh, I I get myself a cigar and a glass of uh, something interesting to drink, and I read the manual. And what blows my mind are some of the little buttons that you wouldn't think are there and some of the features the car doesn't ha has that you wouldn't think were there. Uh, I mean, even your... I mean, even your basic four banger is really sophisticated these days. Yeah, like, I, like, like, I, like I found out... I found I had leased a car for almost three years. It was almost time to turn it in until I discovered... For the very first time that there was a button that I could have pushed to activate an extra subwoofer I didn't know was there. And I love great yep. sound in my car. I didn't know it was there. They didn't tell me at the dealership. Probably because there's so much that uh, there's only so much they can tell you while they're trying to get you to buy the car. Yeah, the uh, so very yeah, the manual, page right, right, exactly. Yeah, and I'm thinking, boy, I missed out on three years of enjoyment here just about <laughs> uh, because 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 an effect because an effective car salesperson is looking to find out what it is that's going to motivate the person to buy the car. Are they a gearhead? Are they interested in the engine? Um, are they somebody who just wants a fast car, in which case you're emphasizing performance. Are they interested in minimalism, in which case you're going to show them how simple it is? Are they interested in uh, just looking good in it? So you're going to look to find the car that looks really good with them sitting behind the wheel because that's what they're going to buy. They're not going to they, – they might not even care if it doesn't go very fast. They just want to look good driving it. And if that's what's going to get them to buy, that's what you sell them. Yeah, but that doesn't mean that's the only thing they're interested in. Right, right. right. What's the rest of it? <laughs>
Exactly. But there's only so much you can download in the time that you have. Otherwise, you'd have to give a full day seminar on that vehicle. Yeah. So, so, the, ne so the next place I want to go here is, um, uh, you know, we touched on this um, in a couple of different ways with the concierge example. Uh, when we were getting into technical, you know, writing technical manuals and things like that. So this leads me to uh, journey mapping. Mm -hmm. And if you could tell me what's your process for journey mapping, because I think this is really important and how that and how to make that actually customer focus. Yeah, I mean, journey maps, and I'll just give a super high level overview of what journey maps are, just in case, you know, any of your, your listeners are wondering what that means. Uh -huh. Essentially, a journey map is a tool that allows you to put on a single piece of paper, usually a view of the experience your customer goes through in their relationship with your organization. So it might start with awareness. How do your customers become aware of you? You know, is it through the web? Is it through advertisements? Is it word of mouth? Combinations of those things. Mm -hmm. And then once they're aware of you, then they have the ability to make a decision to consider you. It's like, who do I want to consider for whatever service or product I want to buy? And then to purchase or sale, right? Because the purchase is what the customer does. Sales is what the company does. So they purchase it. And then they need to get service. And, and then they use it, right? So they just, it's a continuum of that end-to-end -end experience of their life cycle. Right. So that journey map as a tool that helps companies deliver better experiences to their customers because it allows you when it's done right, you can look at you can look at the relationship your customers have with you through your customers eyes. So it's essentially it's an outside in way of looking at your company, because even if you're a smaller business or you've been in business for a while, you're going to be doing things a certain way. You might not realize your customers are suffering <laughs> in some ways. You might not realize you can be more efficient at giving them tools to make a decision to purchase your product or service when they're considering you. So there's all kinds of different things that you can do with a journey map that essentially identify, we're talking earlier about pain points, right? You identify the places where there's friction in the process or your customers aren't getting exactly what they want, their expectations aren't being met. And mapping it out allows you to say, oh, for example, Turns out the customer service is a frustration for our customers. But the reason that's happening is because our sales team is telling them stuff that, are, that isn't entirely accurate or our marketing materials don't line up to what our salespeople are, are telling our customers. So it gives the ability to fix things without pointing the finger at people internally. Because that's where sometimes it's very hard for companies. The finger of blame. The finger, the finger of blame, man. That yep. is no bueno. <laughs> no, no, no. That's a that's a big topic in the change management industry. Yep. And, and that yeah. happens a lot, right? Because there's this, it's not me, it's the other guy. But a journey map, is it's all there on a paper and the lens of people sitting around saying, how do we make our customers experience better? We do it as a team to eliminate these pain points. We're going to make uh -huh. their lives easier. So it takes the blame piece of it out because you're all working together to provide a better experience. And journey map is essentially a, a lens, a tool that helps to facilitate those conversations and helps to drive those improvements. Nice, nice, nice. So tell me about a time that you had to deal with resistance to a customer experience initiative? Oh, just about always. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, you, you know, you brought up change, right? Change management. Uh-huh. People don't like change. Uh, just in general. Because people, you know, we, as, as human beings, we tend to find our comfort zones and, and pretty much stick, stick in them. That goes back to one of the first things we talked about in this call was, you know, how do you become more customer centric as an organization? How do you make that shift? And it's showing people what's in it for them. It's helping everyone understand what it means to be customer centric and why it matters. We call it the WIFM, right? What's in it for me? What's in it for me? And and that, and we're not the only ones who obviously use that phrase, <laughs> but but as we think about the what's in it for me, if if you as an employee or as a manager or as a leader understand how being more customer centric, how focusing more on your customers' needs is going to benefit you and the company, then it starts to get interesting. But if you only believe it's helping the company or you're not even sure it's going to help the company, then you're going to resist because change is hard and change is painful. We need, we need an incentive to change. And the what's in it for me is that incentive. 
Right. So now I'm thinking about the example I gave of the uh, web hosting company uh, that I believe was just resisting upgrading their servers because they didn't want to spend the money or what have you. So they tried to push it all back on the customer. So what I'm thinking of is, uh, you know, you link the the structure and you deal with the resistance and you link it to the customer experience. Here are a few things that if I were in that situation, I would have told upper management that first of all, I would have gotten metrics from tech support and I would have found out how often are these WordPress servers crashing and they're saying it's WordPress. And I would get numbers on that because, uh, uh, I mean, I imagine there's something to do to, I would hope there's something to do to actually track what types of issues they commonly get. And based on just how many that I was getting, uh, I bet you it's a pretty high number. So I bring that to them and I say, 64% of our tech support time is based on customers saying that their servers got overloaded on server space that they were told this wouldn't be an issue. And we keep having to restart Apache. So right there, that tells you not enough bandwidth, too slow, too many sites crowded onto servers, any number of things. Yeah. So get more server space. Yeah, but that, That's point number one. Point number two, I would say, is look at what this can do to employee turnover. How, many, how, how often are these tech support reps going to beat their fist against the wall before it starts to show up in the terms of quiet quitting, before they start mailing it in, before they start looking for other jobs? Because really, these are $15 an hour people. They're either looking to move up with this company where opportunities are limited, or they're going to go diagonal. So your choice: you want to keep them, you want to keep them the extra year, and uh, and uh, postpone your retention and turnover costs, or do you want to deal with that now? That's the second thing I would look at. The third is I would point out that in many cases our business is driven by web development companies, webmasters, uh, digital marketing companies that have relationships with us who have clients who either didn't have web hosting or came to them saying, I need new web hosting and steered them to us. So these points of contact, these webmasters, these digital marketing companies are getting frustrated with how much time they're spending dealing with us over the same issue and we're not hearing them. How soon until another web hosting company whispers in their ear saying, we'll charge you $10 less and you won't have this problem with us. Come to us. Yeah, I mean, and, 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 and how soon before you lose seven customers at once? Yeah. Or, or right. Or more. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're in the middle of this right now. Um, because there's this one company we work with. They're actually a really good company. Their customer service is great. Their servers are great and everything. But the problem is the one thing they're really good at is constantly raising their prices. And six years ago, they were cutting edge and they're still a great company. But other players have entered the market that fulfill the technological needs you, the technological needs of having a, a website that's designed to manage a podcast using our parameters. So we can pay one tenth and get the same damn thing. Yeah, we're moving, and I'm taking a bunch of people with me. Well, what's really interesting is it's that. So a couple of things, you know, you were talking about how you'd be able to take it to management and the steps you outlined make perfect sense. It's coming up with the proof points, the data, right? Very logical. Here's what uh -huh. needs to happen. You know, most employees, particularly in a company, it sounds like that one, right? Most employees aren't empowered to do anything. And right. even if they are, right, they might say, oh, you, yeah, if there's a problem, you come tell me. And oh, by the way, you're going to get a negative performance review last time because you raised something that was underneath my oversight. My boss saw it. And now I'm pissed. <laughs> uh -huh. right? So you have to have the the agency internally to be able to, to address those kinds of things. And that concept of data that you brought up is understanding what your customers' pain points are. And that's what it's all about. If you are able to prove that there are issues, then you can solve those issues. If you and data is what creates those proof points. It's not just one person saying, hey, you know what, Bob? I heard from one customer that there's this problem we have and then everyone runs to mobilize to fix that one problem. That's not really an issue in most companies. It's the, the things that are affecting 7, 10, 50, 100 customers that you don't know about. But if you look at uh, the data, you can find it. Right. Yeah. And uh, and in, you know, in, in the study that I conducted, 
on the use of artificial intelligence um, as a driver of change management, one of the things we looked at is how artificial intelligence uh, is really great at doing the manual work of collating data. So the people who previously had to build the spreadsheets themselves now have that done for them and they can move, and they can pivot their time spent on it to more creatively and strategically analyzing the data because they have more bandwidth to do it and focus more on what are the recommendations? What are we going to do with this initiative? Is this going to be a large scale initiative? We're going to start this with one team, one department, one person, one technology. Uh, can we do this? What is the maturity level of our organization? These are conversations we can now have because artificial intelligence did the grunt work for us. Yep, exactly what we are talking about earlier, right? You're taking, you're automating tasks that used to take people's time and making it easier for people to invest their time where it's more important for the customer. Right, right. Absolutely. So we're near the top of our time here and there's one more question I really want to ask. We've actually covered a lot of your points, just not in the order that you gave them to us, which is how these <laughs> interviews tend to go. Uh, but the but the very last question you shared with me in the green room is the one that I really wanted to cap off with. I think you made the last question for a great reason. So how do you stay up to date with technology trends? And how do you determine which trends to pursue in customer experience innovation? See, that is to me is a bit of a zinger because there are a thousand solutions out there and every single one is better than all the others. Yeah. Well, there's, I have a, I have a, a short answer to that and a long answer to that. The, Let's short do both. Answer, the short answer is technology never solved the customer problem first. Right. <laughs> right. I mean, technology can be complicated. Technology is expensive to put in place, but if you're relying on technology to solve all your problems, you're just going to create new problems. If you understand with clarity and specificity what the problem is, then you can start looking at technology solutions. It's the, it's the mindset of technology first that creates many issues. And there's another, right, there's a saying we have internally is the good news is the technology makes experiences a lot better. The bad news is the technology is also what makes some really bad experiences. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So here's what I like to share. Um, a common thing that comes up, uh, particularly is, and this is one of the sweet spots of the demographics of the business creators radio show, are the solopreneurial venture that's moving into having a leveraged team. And yeah. what often happens, particularly when you're dealing with virtual assistants, is you're dealing with a lot of asynchronicity, meaning you have people who work in different time zones, have different styles of doing things, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But the, purpose of the but the purpose of having a project management system is so that you can tie tasks to each other and create dependencies so that once one person delivers their part, it triggers the next person doing their part and so right. on and so forth, creates deadlines, uh, creates deadline enforcement. All of this is what you need. And it also enables people to communicate without constantly having to schedule phone calls and have meetings, which is another thing you strongly want. So what... What project management system is the best? You got uh, teamwork. You got Asana. You've got uh, you've got Slack used for project management. I could go on and on and on with a dozen different names. There are to me three criteria, and I want to run these by you and see what you think. Criteria number one is it meets the needs we have right now. Uh, ninety to ninety-five percent. Yeah, and we may need to make a few adjustments just to make it fit, rather than spend a year on developing something bespoke that will be obsolete the day we deploy it. That's number one. Number two, that we reasonably believe that it will still work for us six months to a year from now. So when we actually put some time into it and build up stuff in it, we're gonna be holding on to that for a while. That's number two, and number three is the kicker: it's got to be easy and fun for people to use easy and fun because if it's neither because if it's difficult and it's tedious they won't engage with it they'll try and go around it they'll try and go back to why well, just sent you an email which then puts it all completely outside the tracking and then you get into a conversation of well i'm not using your system um if you don't like it i'll quit <laughs> and that and i and i've seen that before I'm sure. So, so those are my so those are my thoughts when it comes to technological implementation. Um, 
useful now, likely be useful for the next year, easy and fun. Yep. The the only thing I would add to that, and, and on an internal perspective, right, you're talking about the employee-facing tools. If those tools are also customer-facing, it's just adding that a clear understanding of what our customers' needs are and, to your point, making it useful and easy and fun for customers to use as well. Oh, yeah, because if the, because if they're not easy and fun for the customer, what's going to happen? Your phone line's going to blow up. Your live chat's going to be clogged. purpose of these tools is enable us to do a lot of it ourselves. This is why uh, companies that have 20 or 30 websites are going to go with hosting that has a WHM, not just a cPanel, so that they can do the high-level stuff themselves. Yep. So they need to bounce bandwidth around, increase file size, uh, uh, do stuff with the PHP any to uh, extend the timeouts or allow more data to be loaded on a long sales page, what have you. They can just go in, use the interface, uh, boost up the number, click save, and click refresh. Because otherwise, that's a 20-minute conversation. Yep, and there you go. Yep, exactly. So you make it easy and fun for the customers. Now, you don't have tech support over and over and over again saying, uh, do you know how to use Putty and do secure FTP uploads? Do you know how to download your PHP any? Do you know how to open it in a notepad? No, no, no. We get rid of all that. Uh, just reminds me reminds me of a story of, um, you know, back in 2008, uh, one of my top clients, who's still one of my top clients, uh, did a launch of a, of a product, a product launch, and it was the first course he had released in 10 years, and he had done one hell of a pre-launch. He had people banging down his door for this thing. So you know what happened? Max users exceeded, which means the site shut down because too many people were trying to access it at the same time. Contacted the um, contacted the web host, and they wanted to say, "Well, um, we have a support guide on that." I said, and I said, "I'll read your support guide afterward. We need the website up now." And that was ten minutes of back and forth. While meanwhile, we're getting emails and phone calls from people who have their credit cards out, ready to buy a five hundred dollar product. It's like, uh, but they kept trying to insist, well, we need you to download this software. I'll download the software later. <laughs> Put the site okay. up. One problem I mean, at a time. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Ex ex exactly. So that yeah, would be an example. Of, yeah, yeah, that would be an example of a misalignment. And and I and I and the way I finally got through to them is, is I said, yes, I want to know how to do it myself, but we don't have an hour. We have right this second. Increase the max users now. Then I will sit with you for the next hour with the sites up and us collecting money, and you can show me how to do this. So next time we get high demand, I can do it myself. I don't have to bother you again. So sometimes to me, it's just priorities and yeah, flexibility. I and mean, anything, right? It's like there's a hundred things you you have to do, 25 you must do, and there's five you can. Exactly. Right. So how do you prioritize it? Exactly. All right. So, Michael, um, again, I mentioned this at the beginning of the episode. Uh, I encourage everybody to buy your book. It's called Smart Customers, Stupid Companies, Why Only Intelligent Companies Will Thrive, and How to Be One of Them. The book actually came out in 2012, so it's been around for about 12 years. It's one of the classics uh, from what I've from what I've heard, I've uh, I've bought the Kindle version of it. It's, it's on my reading list now. Um, I know you wrote it in conjunction with Bruce Kastanoff, yes. and uh, it is a um, and just reading the description on Amazon, I'm really looking forward to this uh, because uh, I'm just going to read this testimonial out loud because I find it both hilarious and poignant. <laughs> and it's from it's from Chris Dane who at the time was the founder and president of Zane Cycles and author of his own books. And uh, he said, I think it's a, I think it's a he. Um, so energizing, it actually made my skin tingle and my pulse race. Lots of books prod you to think about the future. This book is like a punch in the face. I'm fortunate I had the opportunity to read this before my competitors. When I saw that, I went straight to that, add to my Kindle Unlimited right now. <laughs> Well, so yeah, so yeah, so folks, by that title and knowing that the authors are Michael Henshaw, who you've heard from today, and his co-author Bruce Katzenoff, uh, find it by that title. It's on Amazon, and you can have it right now. And with that, Michael Henshaw, thank you so much for being with us today. It's been an honor, believe me, in education. Oh, absolutely, complete pleasure. Thank you so much for your time. Glad to be here.
We trust you enjoyed today's episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. Check out our previous and upcoming episodes on our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. While you're there, be sure to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.